0: So as you all know, this podcast is all about providing busy people like you with simple and easy to implement tools that improve the quality of your life. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about Keto Crisp, a delicious and healthy snack bar that you should have in your bag or pantry for when you're on the go and need a nutritious snack. I absolutely love their butter and salt bar. Yeah, that's right. Butter and salt because it tastes amazing and it's packed with healthy ingredients like MCT oil collagen and it's sweetened with stevia which is a big one for me and this is why they are one of the top selling bars in the country right now so check them out at tastecando.com or grab a box at your local whole foods hi everybody this is dr eric corum founder of aim 7 welcome back to the blueprint where we distill cutting-edge science leadership and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals Today I'm joined by Coach Chris Peterson. Coach Peterson is the former head football coach for Boise State in the University of Washington. As a head football coach, he won almost 80% of his games and compiled a 147-38 and 38 record, including an amazing 2007 Fiesta Bowl victory over Oklahoma. And in 2016, the Huskies won the Pac-12 championship and earned a berth in the college football playoff. He again won the Pac-12 title in 2018, but in 2019, Coach Peterson left football at the peak of his career, because as he describes it, he was paying attention to the wrong scoreboard, society's scoreboard, and not building a strong game plan for his life. If you are a parent, coach, business person, or anyone that's ever wanted to be a high performer, this episode is for you. Coach and I talk about ego, building a strong culture, adaptation, hiring, and so much more, this is by far one of the most impactful episodes I've ever recorded. So now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Well, coach, I really appreciate you coming on today. As somebody that worked in your profession, I've always admired you from afar. From the outside, you always seemed really composed on the field, (laughs) and your players played really hard, and the teams that you were on it seemed that you always were able to maximize your players' talents. And you coached at the Power Five level, the non-Power Five level. I mean, you've, you've delivered results everywhere. Why do you think your teams were successful?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we had a process, you know, that we really believed in. the one thing, Eric, that I think I've learned over time is there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. There really are. And I think I learned that more from going from Boise State to Washington. I was at Boise State for like 14 years, five as the offensive coordinator and then eight as the head coach. So that's, you know, you're in a, you're in a place in a system for a long time and you take so many things for granted. This is just how we do it. And so we built this very strong culture, a way of doing things. And I think over time, you just figure everybody does things like that. And when we came to Washington, you know, it was really interesting. I, I always describe my first two years at Washington as, as culture shock. You know, we walk in there, we're saying, hey, this is how we lift weights and this is how we're going to practice. And the kids are looking at us like, wait, what? Why would we do that? And we're looking back at them like, how else would you do it? You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I kind of knew that, but that really was highlighted when I came here because the staff that was here before, I really felt like did a really good job. Of building Washington back up. You know, before the last staff was here, boy, Washington was was struggling. I don't think they, I don't think they won a game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, he did a really nice job building this thing back up. And I always say, I, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have come to Washington had it not been for Steve building this place back up. But our styles were so much different. You know, that that's what I learned is like. So we really had our way that we believed in, like a lot of other coaches do. And if you stick to the process, you create this vision, you get people buying into the vision, and then you share that vision with those that are involved, this can happen.
0: Really interesting that you say this, because there are different ways to do it. I've been, I was with Sylvester Croom. Uh, at Mississippi State, first black head football coach in the SEC, and he was heavily influenced by Bear Bryant by his time in the NFL. And we did things very different than when I was with Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. Both schools had good results. I mean, Mississippi State, we went from, I mean, it was really bad, to we beat Auburn and Alabama in the same season. He was the SEC coach of the year. and You just saw things done differently. What's interesting to me is when you go to Washington, You would think that, like, you know, you said there was a couple of years there where the players, like, well,
1: what do you mean by that? Change is hard. How did you overcome that? I will tell you this. When I first went to Washington, I got with these uh, kind of leadership gurus, culture gurus, you know, guys that work with businesses all over the country and all over the world. And I was talking to them and I said, how long do you think it takes to change a culture? And they said, well, You know, depending on how similar your beliefs are, you know, that can vary. But basically, it's 18 to 24 months. And I'm like, no way. That was like, we're football coaches. Like, that's for the rest of the world. (laughs) We get things changed. We don't have
0: 18 to 24 months. There's no
1: question. It's like, what are you talking about 18 to two two years? Like, you know, that's like moving a battleship. Like, no way. 25 months, 26 months, I'm looking, is this thing going to ever Change, and I will tell you it was so interesting because you know the first year was extremely hard. Uh, I made a bunch of mistakes. I really did. Looking back on it, that I could have accelerated the process. The second year, we had a really young team. We played like I think it was eleven true freshmen, really talented guys, but they were young. And so we were in games and we battled. We just weren't quite skilled enough yet to win but I remember feeling like as the season was going on and we're getting frustrated, I really liked being like, they competed hard. They practiced hard. They'd come back with a chip on their shoulder. But how about this, Eric? We had to win. Like I think it was our last three games to even get to a bowl game. And so I think it was our last two. And then we won our bowl game and we were seven. I think our record, I wrote this down. I think we were seven and six and I'm thinking, Holy smoke. This is the end of year two. And I'm thinking it feels better. I really think these kids are bought in, but are we on the right track here with our process? Well, the next year after being seven and six, we went to the college football playoffs and you would, you know, you don't know, like you're in the, you're in the fight of it, you know, and you're like, are are we doing the right things? Is this process really the right things It works so well for us at our old place? And is it the right thing here and we we didn't come here like just taking a boise state blueprint and saying hey this is what we did we obviously took some of the pillars and the cornerstones that we believed in and then we tried to tweak it and make it the washington way but my point is i think is the process and the grind is no joke you know to create something special takes time and the world that we're living in in college football especially Like you said, 24 months, good luck to you, right? I mean, those people were ready to run us out of town after those first two years going, are you kidding me? I guess we missed on this thing. And it wasn't until year three that we kind of started to hit our stride a little bit.
0: You know, coach, I was on the human performance side and there's a phrase that I like to use is that you can't microwave the process. I live in Texas, I'm a Texan, right? So if I have somebody over to my house and we're gonna do a brisket, You know, brisket is like the hardest meat to cook and it's going to take eight to 12 hours of love and care and you're spritzing the meat. You got the temperature the right way. If you came over to my house and I put a brisket in the microwave, you'd be like, come on, man. Like I, am not coming over here again to eat brisket. It's the same way in business and in football. And it's like, it takes what it takes. It's going to take time. And if you try to microwave it, you're going to get a microwave product and it's never going to be stable. How did you, as a coach, keep your staff going, keep your players going when you can't see the goalpost? You know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're just trying to get the ridge line, and you don't know when the end's going to come because you didn't know the next year was going to be college football playoff. Right. You're looking
1: at seven right. and six. Right. That's why I think you – that's why I really think it's – To have a philosophy, you know, I just really think that, like, a way of doing business and what is the culture that you're true, you know. And I don't even like—I've joked that I don't even like talking about culture and those type of things anymore because it's just that word is used ad nauseum. It's just like, oh, here we go again. You know, everybody talks about how great their culture is, and you know, this and that. It's not great. Most cultures are not great, and it—it is very, very difficult to get a really good culture. And you know, once once you feel like, hey, we're getting close, you go to the college football playoffs, it might be more work sustaining that culture than it was to even get there. So you have to have this belief system that is just unyielding and you know it. And I think it comes from your heart. And I think this, you have to believe that even if it doesn't work and we go down, I'm going down this way with these beliefs, with this way of treating people, With doing business this way. That's what I think. And I think when it doesn't go your way, you start kind of maybe grabbing at straws. And I learned this really early on at Boise State. We were going to get a philosophy and a way of doing business because I it was like train tracks. So if things got really good for us, which it was pretty good there during our time there, that we wouldn't get full of ourselves and get off track. And when we hit some bumps in the road and some dips and all those things. We didn't start grabbing straws. And so we latched onto that mentality right away, created a really cool philosophy. And then as the years went on, we tried to adjust and adapt to stay current to what's going on in college football. Would
0: you mind breaking down a little bit of what your philosophy was or maybe some of the core values or pillars that held up your
1: program? Yeah, you know, (laughs) there's a lot there. I think it starts with the type of people. That's what it starts with. It starts with, and, and, and I would talk about stacking the deck. That's what I think it is. It's you're stacking the deck for yourself. You have to get the people that are about the things you're all about. So when we would recruit kids or I would recruit new staff members or coaches, I sugarcoated nothing. Like I really wanted them to know what they were walking into, what they were going to get themselves into, because I understood that Like, and we started this conversation, there's a lot of different ways to do things. And I'm under no illusions that our way is the only way, the best way, but it's, it's the, it's the way that we know it. And this is how it goes. So, you know, in recruiting meetings with kids, the coaches would say, do you have to say it like that? Do you have to be so blatantly honest with them? (laughs) And I'm like, well, you know, how else would you, you know like it's just going to come back to get us anyways and so you know it was just about re- getting these kids that and we didn't sugarcoat it that like you're going to work harder than you've ever worked in your life this is going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done the things that we're going to ask you to do on and off the field this is not disney like this recruiting thing is all fun and games but when you get here those great uniforms and the size of that stadium That doesn't even matter. That's going to wear off in two weeks. And then it gets real with like the people that we surround you with and the people that we put in the locker room next to you and how we're going to build this culture and how we're going to treat each other. Like that's the real stuff. So I think, you know, it starts with stacking that, getting the people that you really are kind of guys were guys that just fit the profile that we were looking for. And we would say real, you know, generally they were big time players, really good dudes that we just wanted to be around. Okay, and so but there was more to it than that. We actually had broken it down into we called it performance skills, or you could even look at it as performance character and then relational skills or relational character. We never let that out in public, but we really knew what we were looking for in these kids. But it was really interesting. You know, so many people thought like, oh, you're trying to find these Eagle Scout kids that come from these, you know, two parent households that, you know, do nothing wrong. It wasn't that at all. It was just a certain competitive profile, you know, a relational profile. Like how were they with their teammates? Did they care about it? Did they care about the... Pro- and so we did a lot of homework with that and we just called them like, OKGs okay, Cause we'd always say this, the recruits will tell you who they are. You just gotta believe them. So we would ask a lot of these questions on, you know, getting this profile right. And so that's, you know, that's how we, we started by stacking the deck.
0: Sounds like you just reverse engineered the end result. I want this type of guy. So then we're going to do these type of things to suss that out. And that is in any situation, whether you're in the military, and you're selecting for a special unit or you're in football or you're in business, you really have to start with who do you want on your team? When I started my company, AIM7, the first thing I did was I, I spent months working on the core values of how we would treat each other, what the product would represent. And then as I'm bringing people in, I'm trying to filter them. Are they good stewards? Are they gonna be good stewards of our money. Are they gonna be good stewards of data? Do they wanna build a sense of community with this thing? And if you don't have that and you compromise on that, you're gonna get cracks. Um, and it showed with you guys, cause quite frankly, I mean, I remember the 2007 game, but those games don't happen or this fiesta bowl and two, that stuff doesn't happen unless you built something really, really special and, and you sustained it. I mean, you had almost an 80% winning percentage. I know that's probably not something you want to talk about, but I mean, the results are the results. You know what I'm saying? When you, you know, Boise state, you can get a certain caliber of athlete from a standpoint of height, length, weight, speed, frame, et cetera. You go to Washington, you can now get a different caliber of athlete. It just is what it is. Did anything change with your OKGs? Was it it hard to stay disciplined to that?
1: Well, so that's the process that I was talking about. It was not hard to stay. And it was so interesting because when we came over here and a lot of the Washington fan base kind of knew about this OKG thing and they wanted no part of it. They're like, no, we need better players than that. We, we, we're not into this okay, because that's what I'm saying. They were talking about like, oh, they're kind of not really great players, but really good kids. And I'm like, what, what, are you, what are we talking about here? First of all, we had a lot of NFL players, a lot of NFL players at Boise State. We really did. I mean, we got the right guys for us. We see ourselves as a developmental program. They bought in, you know, it, it was really a cool process to watch. Now, we came to Washington, yeah, we would say this, like, talent level is our floor. So maybe the talent level can rise a little bit. The character is going to be our ceiling. And so the process was not different. Like, so we would watch the tape and we would, I would always say this to our, (laughs) they bring me, you know, a tape or we'd be watching, you know, recruiting tape on the computer and all this stuff. They'd be like, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, I think he's good enough. And they're like, what do you mean good enough? Like this guy's being recruited by, you know, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. He's got 27 offers and you're saying he's good enough. And I'm like, listen, the talent is good enough. I can see that. But what's going to make him successful is all these like, you know, all these other performance skills, the relational skills. And we don't really know how that's going to go. So that's where we kind of got into like trying to stack the deck and asking questions to a lot of people, their coaches, the assistant coaches, their parents, them. Because they're 17 year old kids that are still growing and then they're going to go away from home. I always would say this, and I would jokingly say this you know, we're dealing with like the dumbest age group in America 18 to 22 year old males. And we got 125 of them that get together and they're thinking, yeah, this is going to be a really good idea if we go do this this weekend. It's like, what were you think? You know, yeah, you weren't thinking. So you just don't know how they're going to, like, you know, develop. And some of the guys, like, they hit the ground running. They, they do a great job of being away from home, and they buy in, and the process is not too overwhelming for them, which I marvel at because I think of myself back in the day, their age, going through a process like we put them through. I'm there's like, there's no way. Oh, I, exactly. I don't know if I could do that. So, but we just kind of, you know, we get them to stick with it. And, you know, this is maybe going a different direction, but that's one of my worries about the transfer portal is that we put them through so much hard stuff. And nowadays I think all the kids would have left us right away.
0: No question. You squeeze too hard. Well, you're going to find out coach. Fisher, you say something that, you know, you put pressure on somebody, their habits are going to come to the surface, but in any situation, you squeeze somebody, you're going to find out what's inside. And if you squeeze too hard too soon, or if you if the process is what the process is, and there's an escape opportunity, you're out the door. And I don't think it's helping anybody. There are situations, I think, you know, where you, you get signed by a coach and that coach leaves and you know, yeah. you're like, Oh, geez, like, what do I do? I, yes. I, but what are we teaching folks? It's not going to happen when you get married. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. Yeah. you can hit the eject button, but we know what happens to our society when you do that over and over and over again. You know, I mean, there's certain relationships that you enter in that you need to stick to your commitment. Work's going to get hard.
1: Yeah, hundred you know? percent. And I'm I'm not against the transfer. You know, kids being able to transfer. I mean, we've we right. had a lot of kids over the years that transferred because maybe they weren't that level of player, or we mm-hmm. kind of missed on the fit. And they really just didn't fit us. Well, no coach wants a kid to stay. They can't play for you. It doesn't fit you. But there's a whole, you know, that, that's, a, that's a 5%, a 10% minority, you know, on your team at the most. But I'm talking about, you know, half your freshman class coming in is like, what did I get myself into? Even when we try to be honest and tell them, this is the hardest thing you're going to ever do. You, this thing, we'd also tell them this. It's not going to turn out like you envision in your mind it's just different. Now, that doesn't mean that it can't be the best, most game-changing experience that you've ever had in your life. It really can and will be. It's just going to be different than what you're envisioning how this is going to go. It is going to push you every different way that you ever imagined, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. And that's just a lot when you're 18 years old and going through this tough process. No
0: question. So if you were trying to stack the deck with your players, how did you stack the deck with your coaches?
1: Yeah, that is where I lost maybe the most amount of sleep when I had to hire new people into our staff, whether it was with our coaches, administrators, that's the foundation. And it's not just me, you know, it's us. That can trickle down, you know, the vision and the role modeling comes from the top, but the program comes alive from the bottom in the locker room. And so, okay, what were we looking for in these assistant coaches? And I, you know, there was three things that I just always hung my hat on. It was going to be smart. It was going to be hungry and it was going to be humble. Those three things were like, and, and when I missed on it, it came back to get me every time. And so when I talk about smart, you know, I would always say this, I describe myself as I'm I'm more of a hardworking B student, and if you threw in my SAT scores, I'm probably more of a C student. So I'm not talking about this like super innate intelligence, although that's nice if somebody's got that. I'm talking about somebody that can just figure things out, that is going to be gritty, that's going to like, you know, it just doesn't matter. Like, we're going to find a way. Like, it doesn't matter. Figure it out. So are you proactive? Can you see things coming? We're going to have, like, our job is to solve problems. Like, Just know that, like, that's your job and my job to solve problems. And so that's what I'm talking about being smart. Can you solve problems? The second thing is hungry. You know, the football world is crazy in terms of the, the work hours that go into it. I actually try to pride ourselves a little bit to back away from that. But at certain times during the year, in the season, you're still working seven days a week. Most of those are, you know, 12 to 14, 15 hours a day. It's not like I don't want to say you, you got to work hard. Like if you're not passionate, like so hungry to be in this thing, it's just not going to work because it's, it's kind of a crazy lifestyle. And then the last thing is the humble thing. I don't know, Eric. I mean, you know, we, we talked about this briefly, like people talk about character and, and, and it's so important to, you know, that's the foundation. And, you know, that's almost the cost to get into the building if someone's you know not going to have character. And I don't know if that humble word fits in and wraps into the character part of things, but it just, it just derails everything if we don't have humble people. It derails learning, it derails adaptive change, growing, it derails getting along with people. The more I'm around it and the more I've been out it, I just see this word, its humility, have such a huge effect or lack of it on environment.
0: If you're someone that's pushing to be your best at work, at home, or in your personal life, then I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter, Adaptation. In this newsletter, I curate actionable information and resources for high performers just like you. This includes cutting-edge science for health, productivity, and practical tips for thriving under pressure. You can sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes or going to www.ericcoram.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, Coach. We had that discussion, and it's something that in my life I want to cultivate more of. I don't think anybody's ever arrived, but the hard thing is, is when you got somebody that's ultra talented, you know, there there is a little bit of you know ego there in the sense that I can get the job done. Whether that's a player, whether that's a coach, they're really confident in their abilities. Where's the line between confidence and humility?
1: Hundred percent. And so when I mean this, you know, this this humility, I don't mean these like kind of meek, soft people like that doesn't work either. People that can believe in themselves and what they're about and stand their ground when they mean it. And so we would always say this, you know, there's a difference between a big ego and a strong ego. A big ego is about arrogance. It's about self. Like it's about you being right. A strong ego is about team. It's about others. It's about us. It's about trying to make us better. There was one huge sign in our staff room when you walked in and you'd see it. It said, your amigo, excuse me, your ego is not your amigo. Just kind of a joke sign. But we would look at that all the time. And I would look at it, it would stare at me because I learned this as a head coach. I would be thinking about things, changes in our programs, things that we might need to do. So I'd be thinking about this for a couple of weeks and then I'd come into a staff meeting and I'd say, Hey guys, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe making a change here. If we start doing X, Y, Z and they'd all kind of stare at me one, that's not their job. Like they're coaching their players. My job's more of like kind of vision things change. And, but I'd always, I mean, it's about consensus. And so I'd want them to challenge me. And so somebody would say, yeah, I don't think that's such a good idea. And I'd say, okay, why? And they'd throw something back. And I'd already thought this out and I'd say, we can counter that problem by doing this. And they'd say, Yeah, okay. And then somebody else go, Well, I, I I don't really like it either. I'd say, why? And they'd say, Because of this. Well, then I'd start getting, I could feel it in, like I'm starting to get irritated that this is a really good idea and they're not buying into it. And I could feel it in my stomach. And I almost would get to the sometimes where I'd say, guess what? We're gonna do this because I'm the head coach and in a way we can't, and I can do it. And I would always use that example as. That is your ego is not your amigo. Like that's you wanting to be right, thinking you have all the answers. And because people push back on you and they're not on board, that's ego. It's not intellectually honest. Like, I just love that word being intellectually honest. It's like, hey, we're chewing this up. We're debating this. And we're just trying to make it the best for the Huskies. And if we really think at the end of the day, this is the best thing for us and everybody's on board, or most are on board, great. And if not, okay, back to the drawing board. Let's figure something else out.
0: You know, I love this. Um, in business, there's a, I've been hearing this quite a bit lately, these questions with CEOs. And they're like, you know, how, how many times a year do you make the gut decision? And you can only have that card so many times. Otherwise, it needs to be something that's data driven or like there's a real reason that we're doing this. Like the, the signal is so strong that you can align everybody. Yeah. And, you, and if you're doing the well, it's because I'm the head coach or because I'm the boss. Uh, more than likely, you're probably going to be wrong unless it's just something, you know, it happens every once in a while. There is no data. There is no this. There is no strong signal. And you just got to go with your gut. But I get it. That makes total sense. You better believe that that's going to be in the first office building I have, uh, especially being in Texas. That, that's that's phenomenal. Coach, I got to ask you, um, you had a wonderful football career from all the measurables, you know, that the world would look at. You handled yourself in, the, in a great way, excellent reputation, and you went out at a time I love how everybody calls it the profession. Like, there's no other profession. But you left the football profession. It's
1: like the mafia. You're yes! Moving. They want to keep pulling you back in, but it's like, I can't get away.
0: I can only imagine your phone uh, or your agent gets, you know, hit up. But you left at kind of what many would people would say is your peak of your career. You know, you're kind of in those prime. You have the most wisdom, the most experience, all this stuff. Why did you leave at that
1: time? You know, there, there's... Um, This wasn't, this I think was a, maybe a longer time coming. So when I was at Boise state, I was energized and I mean, really driven for almost all my time there. And my last, probably my last year there, we had a lot of opportunities to leave Boise state during that time, but it was just, I I never really even entertained those offers because I was so driven and excited and still energized what we were building there. And then the last year, Something started to change. I felt like I wasn't being as good of a leader. I felt like I was short with people. I was starting to get cynical. We won most of our games. And then the press or people would be coming at us. Well, why why was that game so close? You know, and that's just part of the job, answering those type of questions. But like things started to really get under my skin that didn't bother me near as much. And I was really sliding backwards in terms of being the type of head coach or being the type of leader that I needed to be. And it's funny because my wife felt this coming that year and she kind of watched it from afar. And at the end of that, that last year at Boise State, she said, listen, you need to figure something out. You need to go talk to somebody. You need to get a new philosophy. You need to get a new job. You need to like something needs to change. And I felt it. I'm like, man, I know. I don't know what's going on here. The job just felt like it was starting to be really restrictive and narrow to me. And I wasn't enjoying parts of this process that I really needed to embrace. So when the Washington job came along, I thought this, and I thought, you know what I need? I think I know what my problem is. I just need a new set of problems. And I'm embarrassed to sit here and tell you this today, that that was kind of my logic, that I'm thinking that. What I'm going to do is take my old problems, throw them away, get a new set of problems at Washington, because I was under no illusion that coming to Washington was going to make my football life easier. I knew it was going to be harder to win games, way harder than we did at Boise State. So I'm going to take my old problems, throw it away, take my new problems at Washington, and that's going to solve my problems. <laughs> like I'm thinking, I just need new problems. No, what you need is a new mindset, is a reset, is to recalibrate. And this job is so 24-7, 365, it is hard to build in recovery skills. And I just didn't have them. I didn't have someone to talk to. I didn't have recovery skills. And so it's like a long, like eight years as the head coach, 24. I would be on vacation. I'm not on vacation. I'm taking calls every day of someone on a program. No time down. you know. And I don't know this at the time, that I'm just basically worn out. Go to Washington. And then I tell you, it's culture shock for two years. Well, it's just almost numbing and blurring for two years. But you're in the fight so hard. It's, it is a new set of problems. And you're, you know, you're just going so hard. Then again, I get to the, you know, the end of year five. And I'm starting to have the same thing, the same feelings. Because I just really never got healthy enough. I didn't have you know, a great game plan for my life on how I wanted my life to be. I didn't have great self-talk. I didn't have recovery skills. All these things I've learned since. So anyways, going into my sixth and last season, same thing happened. We underachieved because of me not being at my best. I'm having these same thoughts and I'm like, I cannot make sense of this. Why do I feel like this? I have the greatest job in America. I have the greatest kids in this locker room. We have an unbelievable staff. And I'm not appreciating and enjoying this thing. And my life is flying by. And the only way I know I'm going to be able to have a chance to make sense of this is to step away, talk to a lot of people, and get perspective. And that's what I had done for the last two years. And it's, it's been the hardest thing I ever had to do. One of the hardest things in my life to step away from this job. And, but it's also been the right thing and the best thing.
0: So what have you learned? Like, what are a few things that you've, the past couple years it. that you walked away with?
1: Well, you know, I hit a couple of those things. I think your life needs to be directed and lived through. Here, here's a here's big thing that I've learned. And so this is from talking to people, reading some of this stuff, comes from Jim Lair, a retired sports psychologist, that's always been a huge fan of mine. I got a chance to Zoom with him a few times and get some perspective. You know, one of the big things is, you know, speaking our language is scoreboards. So there's two scoreboards in our lives. There's society scoreboard, okay? And that's how we're raised from two years old. And it has to do with, on the society scoreboard, we got power, we got approval, we got prestige, we got rankings, we got money, we got status. We have all these different things of followers, grind, work ethic, like it's, it's society scoreboard, how they rank you, like this is what makes you successful. And this starts when we're like two years old. It starts trying to get our parents approval, you know, and then it goes into kindergarten trying to get gold stars. And then it goes into, you know, grade school and we're trying to get grades. And then it goes into like athletics and we're trying to win. And then it goes into work and we're trying to earn the most money and get new contracts. And depending in the arena that you're in, like maybe a college coach, or you're just evaluated on wins and recruiting rankings. And that scoreboard can just start to overwhelm. What I learned is we're doing pretty darn good on society's scoreboard. And what am I missing? Because I'm not feeling good about it. Well, what I'm missing is, is the focus on the other scoreboard, which is your personal scoreboard. And that has to do with values. That has to do with purpose. That has to do with being authentic. That has to do with relationships. All those things. It can have to do with job mastery the right way. All these different things, you know, it can have to do with financial security, but not just more money. It's like keeping things in perspective. And so much of us are just so focused on society scoreboard. And there's going to be a big hole in there after a while. It's just a matter of time. You know, when you're young, it's all about accumulate and advance. And then when you get older, it's just more about like, am I really making a difference? Am I making an impact? And am I living my life true to who I, how I want to live it? So that, you know, that was a big thing. I, I think the other big thing is, you know, as a coach having a game plan and as a business person, every business person that I know spends morning, noon, and night working on their business plan and tweaking it and adjusting and adapting it, and they're just obsessed with it. No coach is not the same. I couldn't go into a stadium without a game plan. That would be the like we just couldn't do it. I could we couldn't call play. We'd have to have a game plan. With that being said, there's not one business person or football or coach that I know actually had a personal game plan for success that had their values on it and what they really meant, their purpose on it, the roles in their life. Like you would carry around on a sideline on a game. I did that. I actually put together a personal game plan, stepping out. Like this is how I want my life to be. These are the principles I want to live by. And I can't believe that I like I went through so much of my life, not really being more focused on those types of things.
0: Coach. That's um, that's really heavy because, and and, (laughs) and I think it's very truthful. I appreciate you saying all this. I'm trying to process this myself because the next, the last question I had for you, you kind of like, you know, you talk about impact. That was one of the things that, in sports, as a support staff member, you know, the team wins, you win. What I didn't want to have happen is is looking back at the end of my life and have all these trophies and all these rings and not know my kids. Because I've seen that coaches that their kids, there's no relationship there. But at the same time, we're built to want to have an impact, to use our knowledge, skills, and abilities. And for me, that just comes from my faith that we're supposed to live that out and make an impact in the lives of others. Now that you've learned about these two scoreboards. Yep. And now that you got this game plan in place, how are you using your talents and giftedness now to make an impact in the lives of others?
1: Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that I am doing is I am still working with some coaching. So rather than working with 125 18 to twenty two year old, twenty three year old males spending more of my time working more with the coaches. And that's that's one of the things that I really enjoyed even as a head coach was working with our coaches and getting us all on the same page and trying to figure out if we're doing this thing the right way. But I really enjoy working with some of these other college head coaches right now because what it's allowed me to do is just have so much more perspective. See, I think that word right there is just, that's the golden word that we're talking about. Because when you lose perspective, and it is so easy to do in life, and there's going to be ebbs and flows with losing perspective, but that's what happens is when you lose perspective, that's when it goes south. And when the pressure start to squeeze you, the time, it's all-consuming job, you can think of nothing else, you start to lose perspective. And so for me stepping out of it, I don't have this all-consuming job. I don't have the pressure of this, but I understand what these other coaches are really going through. And I can maybe help them with a new perspective and, and really help, you know, it's like you're a thinking partner. You're a guide on the side. I really wish I would have had that when I was coaching. It's again, one of my regrets. I actually tried to blind somebody up and I kind of drug my feet. And I didn't quite fit with somebody, but that's what we do for a We coach kids. We've coached our whole life, but yet we don't get a coach for ourselves no no i don't need a coach i'm good it's like you need a coach i need a coach more than the kids. Yeah, need you need a coach. coach more than anybody what we're going through like 100 and so it's like i mean it's just stuff like how did i miss some of these things i really feel like this eric that if i went back into coaching today i would be such a different coach today than i would when i was two and a half years ago i feel like i've learned so much from talking to other coaches, from witnessing, watching other coaches, from gaining perspective, getting more clarity on what this thing should really look like. that in some ways, I'm almost embarrassed. Like, how could I have not got this sooner? But I didn't have the perspective at times that I really needed.
0: That shows humility there. And you know what? In business, you see great business people. They go get coaches for certain areas. Like, upskill yourself. Are you creating like a network that coaches can tap into? I mean, I don't think something like this exists for, if there's a coach out there that ends up listening to this, like what would you recommend them doing? Finding somebody that's a little bit, maybe a step or two ahead of them in life that they admire. Like, what would you say, go do this?
1: Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. I think one, you gotta find a coach that can help you walk the journey. Whatever you wanna call them, a mentor, a coach. There's so much that's going on. You, You talk to your staff about a ton of things, but there's certain things that just, you're not gonna go there with your staff. Maybe certain things that you're dealing with personally or things on the team that it's just like, you talked about it with your staff, but you need to get deeper in and, and you, you can't weight them down with those types of things. So then what happens is you go home and you dump all this on your wife or your spouse. And so what they become is a garbage can because most of the time you're coming, just getting this off your chest, getting this out, wanting to talk about it, and your, your poor spouse wants to help solve the problem for you, but that's not even really what you want. And so she, they can't help you. And so every night you're coming home dumping your problems on your spouse, and they want to help you, and it's not even really what you want to do. You just want to get things out. Maybe help them think through. And it's just a weird dynamic. So I really think you got to find somebody that can like be this thinking partner, this guide on the side. Maybe it's not somebody that's even in the industry. It's somebody that you just know is really smart. Because I think the principles being successful in coaching and business and leadership, and they're all the same. So find somebody that way. If I go back, I would pay a lot of money to like get the right person for me. Like you would probably keep you in the job longer. And most importantly, hopefully allow you to find some joy and purpose. So that's one thing is getting this, this coach. The second thing is I would put together a stinking game plan for my life. Put it together. You got a business plan. What is your business plan for your life? Coaches, what's your game plan for your life? What are your values truly? What's your purpose? You know, what are the roles and what do you want to be better at? I don't know. Like Those are some of the things that I'm doing that that I wish I would have done long ago because I think that's the only chance you have to really do this the right way and stay joyful and growing and improving and living life the way you want to. I think there's certain environments that are so tough, Eric, this coaching world right now being one of them that I'm not even sure it's possible that this is like a a healthy, that you can be healthy mentally in this space. But I know this, you got no chance of being healthy mentally unless you do some of these things we're talking about.
0: Coach, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I mean, for me personally, I am just soaking this up. I I mean, you're looking at me, I'm smiling half the time. I can't stop grinning. Like, I just wish, you know, as a younger coach, I would have known these things. But anybody that's listening is a parent, a teacher, a friend, you know, anybody, you need to have a game plan for life. Yeah. And if you don't have these things well articulated and down and you're reminding yourself and then you're aligning your actions with your values, with your vision for your life and how you're going to serve and help others, you're not going to find joy no matter what you do. Um, It could be the thing that you're really talented at, but you're not going to find joy. And coach, I, I just so appreciate you being vulnerable and opening up about this. And I'm excited for the impact that it's going to have. If people want to follow you or find you, like, what? Do you, where are you now? Like, are you on? I mean, I know if we we found each other on Twitter, of all places. Like, that's kind of funny to me. But like, where do you put stuff out? Do you have a blog, or you write anything down, or anything? I
1: I don't even know what to say to that question, there because I don't even really pay attention to Twitter. I think when you hit me up, I don't look at it even. Like, maybe every you know couple of weeks, I'll look, and then I saw a dot, like. What is that? (laughs) Yeah. And then um, one thing led to another. So I don't really have, you know, I, I've just always been like lay in the weeds guy that so I don't, I don't really have like you um, and I should
0: talk later about about a way for you to get a message out that's authentic for you because people need to hear this. But uh, coach really appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking time this morning. And God bless you, man.
1: Eric, it's my pleasure, and and I love the work you're doing. You sent me a couple of your podcasts, and I'm like, whoa, this is this is some good stuff. And then when you asked me to come on here, I'm like, I don't know, I'm not in the league of some of these other dudes. I'm still trying what? to figure all this out myself. And a lot of these other guys got some really good stuff, so it's my pleasure. And thanks, thanks for having me. On. Yes, sir.
0: If you found value in what Coach Peterson said today, would you please consider sharing this episode with someone you think is going to have a big impact on? Also, if you want to support the show, please give us a comment and review in the Apple Podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.